0: In an urban area, a food desert is defined as a community located more than one mile from a reliable source of fresh produce. There was a time when the community of South Atlanta was home to many neighborhood grocery stores. Sadly, those local stores have been pushed out and replaced with large supermarkets located miles away. This week, we're talking with Jeff Delp, Director of Economic Development for FCS Ministries. FCS is the team behind Carver Neighborhood Market, one of the only neighborhood grocery stores in South Atlanta. We sit down to talk about how they are hoping to bring food justice to the South Atlanta community. Well, Jeff, um, first of all, thank you for for agreeing to come on the show. We're we're really excited to have you and hear about uh, Carver Neighborhood Market. The first thing I love to ask people, though, is if somebody bumps into you on the street and says, Hey, who are you? And what do you do? What's your, uh, what's your 32nd, you know, elevator pitch or introduction that you usually, that you usually spout.
1: Um, Oh gosh. Um, uh, my name is Jeff Delp and I um, live and work in one of the best neighborhoods in Atlanta. Uh, I run a small neighborhood market and coffee shop, uh, on the South side of town that brings jobs and affordable, um, food into into my neighborhood that would normally not have it without um, the market there.
0: Gotcha. Now tell me the backstory about how uh how does that idea even come into, you know, the heads of the people who, who start to make that happen. What what problems or needs are identified and, and who identifies those needs to, to begin to work on something like that?
1: Um, yeah, so I've lived in the neighborhood for twenty years. Um it's you know becomes pretty apparent uh, pretty easily if you're listening and talking to people that they wanted better access to um to food and so the idea of having a grocery store in our neighborhood isn't isn't the you know the most ingenious idea ever (laughs) Um, it's pretty pretty obvious uh but getting to that point is was the more difficult uh, uh piece obviously and so um yeah, I mean, it came from from neighbors who've been looking for, asking for better access to food for a long time, and we were just fortunate enough um, at our nonprofit to have a couple connections that um, one thing led to another, and we were able to make uh, make it work. And so uh, I wouldn't say we locked into it, but um, certainly having you known the right people uh,
0: helped us get get open and get here. Sure. And tell me. Uh, you know, I know reading a little bit about the history of the neighborhood there, there were grocery stores there in, in the past, locally owned, like several uh, grocery stores. Tell me why now is has that, did that become such a need in the neighborhood for, uh, for better access to food?
1: Sure. So, I mean, it's, it's your typical American urban neighborhood grocery story, right? So one grocery stores have changed and the last 60 years right so pre-car pre-1950s grocery stores were a lot smaller they served a smaller area people would walk to them uh, take a street car ride the bus whatever um to get them and they were you know they were a much smaller footprint and um and so when the cities began changing and we began building everything for around the automobile um that meant that we built bigger grocery stores farther apart um the way that left was neighborhoods that um, were built prior to the automobile um, as they saw a decline in um, property values and and income of uh, people living in those neighborhoods um, it began um, it led to a place where neighborhoods like ours couldn't sustain the new model of a grocery store right so if If the model is to have a 75,000 square foot store, you need a certain amount of people who make a certain amount of money in order to make that store work. Uh, And so that's that's what happened all across cities in in the United States is that the demographics didn't really change, it's just that our model for grocery stores changed. And all of a sudden people, needed food and need access to food weren't able to get it because the grocery store model became something entirely different Uh, and so we asked the question of uh, because we aren't a grocery store chain uh, not can our neighborhood sustain um, our model grocery we asked the question how big of a grocery store can our can our neighborhood sustain and we built a model around that versus trying to pigeonhole a neighborhood into our business model of a x you know thousand square foot store
0: sure tell me a little bit about uh, your history jeff what uh, what ultimately brings you to south atlanta and and tell me a little bit about the the nonprofit um that's that's behind you guys that's kind of making all this happen
1: yeah so um i mean i'm from pennsylvania just outside of philadelphia i grew up in a small town um after college i was looking to move to a city i didn't really care where wanted to um Explore, uh, lived somewhere else for a while. Grew up, you know, lived close to where I grew up my whole life up to that point. So ended up in Atlanta. Um, and at the time, I was looking to, I was working through AmeriCorps and going to work at a couple schools. And for me, it was important to live close to where I was going to be working. I didn't want to be commuting in. Certainly, as a as a white guy working in, uh, inner at the time, um, inner city public schools. Um, did not want to be parachuting in and then leaving at night, and so I wanted to be embedded in the neighborhood, have um, the neighborhood be my neighborhood, uh, and so I was looking to um, to do that. And uh, FCS, focused Community Strategies, is um, at the time and still is um, heavily rooted in in neighborhood, uh, and so we we do our work um, entirely, almost entirely, in South Atlanta, with the idea that our staff lives here, uh, and so. The market isn't just something that I run, but it's my market too. My kids go there. My kids shop there. um, We shop there. Um, With the idea that, um, of course, 20 years later is a little bit different, right? Gentrification was just coming along and around 20 years ago, Um, but uh, so that's a whole different story. Uh, When I tell my story now, it sounds like, oh, you're the ultimate gentrifier, uh, (laughs) um, kind of thing. But um, but at the time, it was a little more radical to move into the city and, and live there and become embedded in it um and so really and what scs hopes to do through through housing through economic development and through um something we call neighborhood engagement is how can a neighborhood like south atlanta be a healthy thriving community with the people that currently live here and, and who have lived here for the last couple of decades right and so um we recognize that yeah there are some there's lots of beautiful things in, in our their neighborhood. There's many awesome aspects to it, but there are also some challenges. And you know, challenges are the lack of businesses. The the schools are, are, are can be a challenge. The city's not invested in parks uh, for a long time. Housing stock is is uh, difficult uh, to say the least. And so, how can we have a place where people want to live, um, but equally as important, if not more important, can afford just to live there, right? And so, um, we're not afraid of change we're not afraid of things coming we just want to make sure when those things come um that those that have been here for a long time can can stay to enjoy them so it was really important for us when we opened the market and the coffee shop um, to make sure that we expressly have the interest of our long-time neighbors at heart first those are the customers that we are serving first that's who the store is for Um, More so, we're not afraid of folks moving in and and being our customers, but we are going to always serve our long-term neighbors
0: uh, and their needs before we serve um, those that are just moving to the neighborhood. Gotcha. So tell me about uh, the early days of of getting the market started. How were those those first few days, how did the community receive you guys? Cause you know, I know, like you said, when you first came into the neighborhood, it was sort of very early stages of gentrification, but that's a real thing in the neighborhood now is, you know, how do the folks that have lived there for generations react to to people coming in and, and whether it's a sense of, okay, I've got to create something because the neighborhood's not good enough, you know, almost is, is this, you know, you know, prevailing thought among so many developers, how do you fight against that when you're opening something new, but trying to get across the message that, hey, this is for for you, this is not something that's intended to change your neighborhood or to, to bring other people in?
1: Sure, so if we're talking in terms of the market, um, we like to say the market is a 15-year overnight success story. <laughs> um, and so the reality is if we open the market, so I moved here in September of 2001, and had I opened the market in October of 2001 or 2002 like it would have, it would have failed miserably right uh and so there is there is uh something to time and trust uh building that up and so the th- what the market has benefited from is that FCS ran a thrift store in that space since 2003 the coffee shop opened in 2010 and then the market opened in 2015 so by the time the market opened up there had been a history of a store um operating there, so it wasn't something that was, you know, just plopped in to the neighborhood. Uh, I had lived in the neighborhood for 15 years at that point. Um, We hired staff from from the neighborhood uh, who who worked at the store, and so, um, yeah, what, you know, timing was uh, was right um, uh, for that, Uh, but again, you know, we made um, some decisions uh, to make sure, to do our best to make sure that our neighbors knew that the store was for them, A small thing, you know, talk about cars. So our front door is on the street, uh, not off the parking lot. Uh, And we made that decision very explicitly because over half our customers walk or take the bus or ride their bike or get to the store some way other than a car, right? And one way to announce that you're not for me is to make a pedestrian walk through a huge parking lot to get into the store, right, and so we you know, we made that decision early on. Again, the things that we choose to sell, um, we're not an uh, organic local market. You know, people see our logo, people see a small store, people see produce, and they automatically assume, oh, you're you know, you're a little Whole Foods or you're an organic market, and um, you know, we don't shy away from that stuff, but that's not who we are, and we made that known as quickly as possible. And so our goal when you walk in the door of Carver market, regardless of who you are or where you're from or how much money you make whatever, the minute you walk in the door you're going to see something that resonates with you right and so because uh, the idea is this place for me is a real is a real thing right and so we wanted to make sure as many people when they walked in that first time saw something and they could say yes this is this is for me they, they either see a neighbor they see a product that they they like, what they enjoy, what they want, um, they see price points that they can afford, um, whatever that is, but we want, you know, the minute you walk in, to have that, to have that sense of this is, that this is for me. Um, now, to say that, it, we had, you know, as any business, we had to work to get people's trust. Um, yes, we were a food desert and there weren't, and still aren't a lot of options, but it doesn't mean that people are, are compelled or forced to come into our, our walls, right? People are getting food from somewhere, um, we didn't end starvation uh, when we opened the market, so we, we've had to ha- we we have had to earn people's trust a- along the way, and um, as with any business, that's long hard work that you um, keep keep at and and keep doing. Um, we're fortunate that you know we have to try really hard for people not to like us. <laughs> just, you know we're not we're not trying to sell people on you know some vice that. Uh, has a negative consequence down the road right like people people want and are excited for food, so as long as we can continue to offer a good price point, continue to offer good service, continue to offer a good product, um, people will like the idea of us being there and we do i mean people go to Kroger all the time people go to walmart like they they get around so we we have to compete with you know people 's buying habits but Um, For the most part, I mean, you can probably find someone that doesn't like us. I wouldn't say we're universally accepted by any stretch of imagination, but we're in a business that uh, we're in a business in a location that it's really hard to make people mad at us.
0: Um, That's cool. Um, Tell me a little You started down this road a little bit, but tell me about the experience and the uh, sort of the setup of, uh, of Carver Market for those who haven't been there. Um, if I'm walking through the door for the first time, what can I expect? What are, what are those things that sort of, uh, like you were saying, are just specifically designed and, and set up so that it feels like a, a market for that neighborhood?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, if you take away COVID, <laughs> it's a very different answer, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so the first thing, when you walk in, you, uh, you're going to be greeted by someone that you probably know. Right, you're going to see it an employee, a neighbor, but you can you're going to walk in with the expectation that you're going to walk in this and see someone that you know, and that's that's exactly what we want um, there, and that could be any, anything from a high school student to a teacher to a neighbor to a uh, a nonprofit uh, worker who's you know having meetings there um, to you know city officials. Uh, you know, people are, you know, city officials are always looking for places to gather and meet with their constituents, right? And there's, there's just a lack of those places on the side of town. And so um, you're going to expect to see someone that, you know, um, you're going to be able to find anything from a quick snack um, to uh, a hot meal at the coffee shop to um, do your weekly grocery shopping if, if you want. And so you'll find produce, but you can also get, a bag of Cheetos and a coke if you want um, or you can sit down and have a good breakfast sandwich um, before before school or before work um, or whatever and so um, I think you'll you'll see a lot packed into a pretty small space we're not very large um, about 3500 square feet um, combined between the coffee shop and, and the market but uh, it will take care of most of your most of your needs you won't be able to find uh, tobacco or alcohol, less other than that, you'll be able to find pretty much whatever you want uh, in, our, in our store.
0: Talk about the coffee shop piece a little bit. And you mentioned that it came before uh, the market. What's, what's the significance and the importance of the coffee shop and what, and what you guys and what FC, um, FCS is trying to accomplish there.
1: Yeah. So the, the coffee shop was started by a couple of friends of mine. Um, and it really started, uh, mostly as a place for people to gather, uh, when neighborhoods don't have a commercial district, don't have businesses that cater to the residents, um, one of the you know, obvious pieces that you're missing is where do you gather as a neighbor? Where do you go to, to see each other? Uh, and so the coffee shop really served as, as that um, primarily early on. We've, we've grown the business side of it. Um, uh, still very much that um, idea that it's a third space, but business-wise, it does a lot better than it did early on. Um, but yeah, we want it to be a safe space. We're we are essentially on the campus of a high school. So Carver Carver High School is right around the corner. Um and you know, we want the high school kids to come in and, and be safe in the building. Um we love the idea of them rubbing elbows with their principal in line. So there's plenty of mornings again when you know, when COVID's not going on where the principal walks in at 8 15 school starts 8 30 and he's fussing at the students like hey you all got 15 minutes to get to school and those uh those kind of human interactions outside of school we think um make a lot of difference uh, in kids lives um similarly you know we talk about gentrification and we talk about neighborhoods changing you know so much of, of that um the challenges around that is is lack of trust and lack of of knowing each other. And um, rightly or wrongly, we can have another conversation about this, but when when new folks move into the neighborhood, often they don't spend enough time getting to know people who've been there um, longer, um, and vice versa. Um, And so what the coffee shop presents in the market too is an opportunity for high school kids, moms who have lived in the neighborhood for a long time, new residents who just moved in, um, to be in line together, to be, sit down at a table next to one another, to, serve, to be an employee and serve a customer. Um, but you begin to at least know know somebody, even if you don't know their name, you see their, you see their face and they become familiar to you. And so the next week or the next month when you see them on the street corner or you see them in a, in a public meeting or you're at a you know, town hall together, whatever it is that you're doing together, they're no longer a complete stranger, right? You can at least say, like, oh, I remember that guy, he runs to market up the store, or I know that kid, you know, he ordered the smoothie the, the other day. Uh, and just that little bit of familiarity tears down some of the assumptions that we have of each other. Um, um, doesn't, doesn't end there, but it certainly helps to have this shared space. So one thing that I recognized early on living in the neighborhood is that I might live on the same block as my neighbors, but when we leave to go shopping, to go recreate, to do whatever, we go very different places. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, having a space where regardless of income, regardless of race, regardless of age, um, almost everyone goes to provides that ability for us to build a little bit of trust, soften some of the the challenges that come when new people move into the neighborhood um, and, you know, tear down a few of those walls that, that go up very, very quickly um, in in some other the neighborhoods, so we think that South Atlanta looks a little bit differently um, in part you know, we won't take certainly don't want to take all the credit for it, but uh, in part because we have this space that is explicitly for everybody And it you know um, and we hear that we hear that feedback a lot from from our customers how you know there's something there's something different about you guys. Um, and for me, that that's the piece is that we've made it known in practice that we want to make sure that everybody that comes in our doors um, is welcome.
0: Sure. Well, speaking of neighborhoods changing and and controversy, there's a uh, a big circle on map, on maps of Atlanta right now that's <laughs> 22 miles long. Yep. That, um, is sort of the big elephant in the room. I know. Uh, for your neighborhood probably as well as well as a lot of neighborhoods in the city right now and that's the Beltline of course Um, the Southside Trail is coming into the spotlight for the development of the Beltline and I think you know Kat our producer and I were talking about it uh, before this interview the beauty of the original plan of the Beltline was this opportunity to people for people to go and experience all these different neighborhoods around Atlanta for what they are and to travel through these different neighborhoods and, and connect the city um, between neighborhoods that hadn't previously been connected. Some of the, I don't wanna, wanna call them side effects, but what's happened in a lot of places in, in the Beltline is that's brought development and it's actually changed neighborhoods, right? So what, first of all, what do you foresee the effects of, of the Beltline kind of coming through South Atlanta being for you guys as the, as the trail gets paved? Um, but what opportunities also does that provide you guys as a neighborhood and, and as a business at Carper Market?
1: Yeah, so um yes, the belt line is an enigma for many, many reasons. Um probably uh start with your last point. Our biggest challenge as a market and the reason why there's not more businesses here is um is the lack of people, right? We, the reality is we are an underdeveloped um, part of town. There's so much empty land, underused land. Um, and that, that fact makes it hard for businesses to, to succeed, right? You have to have a certain amount of people that live nearby to, to be successful. And so um, the idea of wanting more people to come um, isn't a bad thing. Uh, if, you, if you want businesses to come, you need people to come as well. Um, So, you know, we want to embrace that idea of of new folks moving in. Um, But, you know, go back to my point is I said that the market was a 15 year overnight success story. Right. Mm -hmm. The reality is like change is fine. Change slow incremental change is what allows neighborhoods to there's plenty of studies that show that slow incremental change is the way to allow neighborhoods to fully incorporate and embrace both the new and the old. But when things change overnight, it just happens so fast and those that have lived there forever get pushed out and then all of a sudden, you know, in two or three years, you have this whole new neighborhood and you're like, what happened? Right. Uh, But um, when economic opportunity comes and people are given the chance to um, get used to it and build up for it and, uh, they're able to stay longer than they are otherwise. And so, um, so yeah, part of the, you know, part of the Beltline's idea was to have a train that went along the the Beltline and and that was the problem for neighbors on the South side. That was what was the most idea was now I could get to Pot city market or I could get to Midtown or I could get to, um, you know, downtown or wherever that I could get to my job. Right. If I'm the, One of the biggest challenges, you know, is, is access to employment, uh, and, uh, and so we've we've punted on the transportation piece. We've built this beautiful sidewalk, which is fantastic and I love, and my kids love it. Um, but it's not really the um, tran- the neighborhood transformational thing that we needed first. Uh, and so now you have the development coming in uh, into places and, and doing precisely that. It comes in and it changes the neighborhood so quickly that the neighbors can't keep up, right? And they end up being pushed out and it doesn't feel like it's for them. Uh, and so at this point, you know, 15 years into the Beltline, I don't know how you, how you change that. Um, I'm still hopeful that it can be good to connect, um, our neighborhood to the rest of this, the, rest of the city. The way South Atlanta uh, geographically interacts with the Beltline is our Northern edge touches the Beltline, uh, but there's not a whole lot of people that live there. That's where the school is, uh. And so most of the houses are, are farther south. Uh, so particularly the southern part of our neighborhood may or may not see a ton of um, repercussion, uh, you know, housing prices wise. Certainly the north, Northern edge will probably see um, an uptick in, in that. Um, but again, I, I think our city as a whole needs to grapple with how do we bring more people into the city without displacing people and that, you know, and the city's done a decent job of this. And that means that we have to do away with a lot of the single family housing. Um, there's ways of making our, our city affordable, uh, including our neighborhood affordable. Um, but a big part of that is we can't all have our own single family homes anymore if we wanna, if we wanna have the density and the affordability that goes along with that. So essentially, long answer short, like, and I think this is what Ryan wanted to do. Like, it, it need, the city needs to reimagine itself. Uh, I think we still have the opportunity to do that, but um, it is certainly not off to the best of starts. And um, also, I mean, it's, also but it's, it's, it's changed. I'll mean, be honest, like, it's changed my life as a city resident. Like, I, I get around without a car a lot more than I did pre 2012, um, but I'm able bodied, healthy, 40 something person who can get on my bike and go not everyone is in that space or if, it, if it's raining i can get in my car and go right uh yeah. so what what really will make it transformational is if if they can get the transportation piece um along with it but yeah we're excited for it we want we want it to come we're advocating for it um and we're trying to minimize the damage mm-hmm. um but this, you know even with the market like if you look at real estate listings in our neighborhood that are close to the market within a half mile of the market, they all list walk to a grocery store, walk to a coffee shop, right? And there, right, that there's that's gonna be a part of it. Um, and if the only thing that FCS is doing was running this grocery store, then you could probably say, Well, you're you're contributing to gentrification, but um along with the market, we're doing affordable housing and a bunch of other stuff to help sure. keep people here.
0: Sure. Well, and in- you know, it's like one of those things too, especially with the belt line is there's, it's been the segmented construction of it hopefully provides us an opportunity to learn from the things that we didn't do great in certain segments uh, and do them better as we continue to expand. Right. So there's really great things that have happened on the East side trail. Uh, There's really tough and hard things that have happened along the East side trail. Mm -hmm. So how do we as we're, you know, now the West Side Trail is open and paved, how do we not make those same mistakes? How do we, you know, maybe find better opportunities? Uh, and then the same thing on, on the North and South sides. So I'm, I'm like, I'm hopeful, but it, it's going to be something that people have to keep each other accountable on, right? Because it's really, um, greed is a real thing, right? In, uh, in economics and in, in city politics. Um, and it's, it's really easy for, uh, you know, a developer with a big check to to sway a lot of opinions, um, so I think you know folks like you guys um, that are embedded in, in the community are are going to be crucial as things um, move forward to to be those voices to say hey let 's not make the same mistake that maybe we made here or let 's keep these things in mind so glad you guys are there to be that advocate <laughs> in in that sense. Um, well, cool, so aside from the belt line. Moving forward, you guys have had this history now, like you said, of, of establishing a rapport in your community, of embedding yourselves in the community, and and this is your neighborhood now. What's next for uh, for Carver Market, um, for for South Atlanta, in your opinion? Where where are you guys hoping to move forward to in the next you know five years or so?
1: Well, again, you know, these questions all get hard with like, so what's it look like in two years? I sure. yeah, can barely, I can barely plan two days from now. Yeah, um, this is going to
0: be really different in February. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, so, I mean, we had hoped to open up a restaurant across the street. Uh, so you know, SCS operates the market and coffee shop. And we do that primarily because when we opened them, there wasn't a business person in their right mind who was going to, open a grocery store, open a coffee shop. But we do believe that with, with the Bell Line, with, uh, there's a lot more people living around now than there were five years ago and there's a whole slew of development going on just north of us that that the time is, is you know, again without COVID, the time is getting close to being right that a restaurant could could probably make it and that's the next thing that we hear um, our neighbors um, wanting is that, you know, a place to go sit down and have a, have a meal uh, together as a family. And so um, hopefully we'll be able to, you know, that, that's on pause at the moment, but hopefully when things get back to whatever the new normal is going to be, we'll be able to act on that. So, so that's primed and ready to go. Um, you know, we, we keep toying with the idea, you know, FCS isn't in the business of, of running grocery stores. We do it because we're committed to our neighborhood, but, um, we would love to find a way to, um, Ha- allow other folks to use our model to bring small stores into their neighborhood right we don't we don't want to sit on this thing as its ours and and not be able to help others do it and so we would love to see other other stores pop up around the city around the country um that that bring you know help bring food into neighborhoods that have long needed uh, access to it um and keep you know keep fighting for uh the slow incremental change that um that is, is happening and, and be a part of it and that you know what what we fight for now looks very different than we fought for 20 years ago 10 years ago five you know five years ago um but we want to you know we want to see our schools improve we want to see our parks keep getting better um and um and keep you know we keep fighting for our neighbors to, to be here and so um we hope that you know, man, we know cities change, P- you know, people move all the time. That's a part of it. But, you know, we would love to see the majority of our customers still here in five years that we're not, um, you know, that right now our top selling items are bananas, mangoes, avocados, Coke, and Cheetos. Uh, and, you know, we would love for those top five things to still be the top five, five years from now. Uh, we don't want it to be organic kale, whatever. around. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Um right so uh we want a little bit of change but we don't want too much change.
0: Well you can get a good coke in in the city of Atlanta and South Atlanta. I'm it's sure. local business. We're supporting a local business. That's right. <laughs> Atlanta born and brand. That's what we're all about. <laughs> yeah. you there. Awesome Jeff. Well this has been great. Uh, I could talk to you for hours about this but want to respect your time. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today and uh keep us posted on what's going on with the market and And if restaurant is in the future, uh, keep us posted there too, because we want to shout from the rooftops what you guys are doing, and we appreciate what you're doing for the city. So thanks again.
1: Awesome. Thank you, guys. It was a joy talking with y'all. Absolutely.
0: Jeff and the team at Carver Market want to provide access to fresh and healthy foods without changing the South Atlanta community. To find more information about the work they're doing, head to fcsministries.org. Atlanta Born & Brand is a production of Connect Media. We're a full-service digital media company focused on helping small businesses tell their story in the most effective way they can. If you'd like to tell the story of your business, we'd love to help. You can find us at connextatl.com. Make sure to subscribe to Atlanta Born and & Brand and Apple Podcasts, or wherever you happen to be listening. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review and a rating. And of course, share it with your friends. Keep up with the show on social media. We're at ATL Born Brand on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. Finally, you can find all the previous episodes of the show on our website, atlborn.com. For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks for listening, and I'll see y'all soon.